God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you today. Thank you so much for coming. We realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there, so we bring the service to you, wherever you are. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and His promises for your life. Would you open in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10? That's where we're going to be today, and we'll also show those verses up here in the video for you, just to make it easier for you to follow along. I'd like to talk to you today about breaking the chains. For the last few weeks, we've been going through the book of Hebrews, and of course, the book of Hebrews was written to speak to the Jewish mind. It speaks specifically to the Jewish believer's mind. It talks about Jewish things, Jewish knowledge of the Tanakh, how you would say in English, the Old Testament, and Jewish traditions. And the chapters we've focused on for the last few weeks have explained from a Jewish understanding the purpose of God's Messiah. HaMashiach, Mashiach is Messiah. Ha is thee, the Messiah, HaMashiach. They explain the role of the tabernacle and the temple that was in the center of Jewish life when they stood. And they explained the role of the high priest in those places. But as we went through the previous chapters, we saw that there were weaknesses in the earthly tabernacle and in the earthly high priest. God Himself even spoke about these weaknesses in His Word. For example, their sacrifices could never really remove sin permanently from the heart of the people. Otherwise, the sacrifices wouldn't have to be continually performed year after year after year. That brought the purpose of the Messiah as the high priest into focus. And it spoke of how He would remove sin permanently, once and for all, in the true tabernacle in heaven. Does that surprise you? Remember, God had revealed the true heavenly tabernacle when He told Moshe HaNavi, Moses the prophet, He said, make sure you make the earthly tabernacle after the pattern I showed you on the mountain. That's what He had said by Torah, in the Torah. So there was a pattern that Moses was looking at there on the mountain. And God showed him the one in heaven and said, make the one on earth like it. So we begin to see that for our sin to be removed forever, it had to be atoned for in the forever kingdom of heaven, in the forever tabernacle, which was located in heaven. And it had to be atoned for by a high priest who had no sin, one who would never die, one who lived forever. But out of all these things we've learned so far, perhaps the one thing that affects our own life more than any other aspect is that our sins have been completely taken away. Now that's hard for you and I to comprehend, isn't it? That all of our failures, all of our shortcomings, all of our sins have been completely taken away and forgiven. We're so used to having sins and failures in life, we just don't know what to do about it. We end up hoping that our good works will somehow outweigh our bad works when we stand before God. But in the Scripture, we see that God is perfect and that He requires perfect righteousness in order for someone to be allowed in His kingdom, 
the kingdom of heaven. None of us are perfect, though. So how can we get into heaven? What can we do about our sins? And for the last few weeks, we spoke of how the Mashiach, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, was sacrificed to atone for, once and for all, for all of our sins. But that's so amazing that it's hard for us to comprehend. It's difficult, we say, for us to wrap our mind around that. And yet, it's true. And that means that all who believe on God's Mashiach, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Christ, are now children of God, and their sins are completely forgiven. It means that when God looks at your life, He doesn't see your own righteousness anymore, but instead He sees the righteousness of His sinless Son, Jesus Christ. But we're so used to works and earning everything that we get that it's hard to change how we think, isn't it? It's so easy to think of everything in terms of working for it. And if we do good, then we'll get good. But grace is just the opposite. It's God's gift to us. And in chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews, and some of the verses right in the middle of this chapter, God speaks of the unimaginable, the wonderful, the amazing gift of forgiveness and favor that He's given us in His Son to all who will simply believe on Him. And if you can begin to understand the amazing gift that God has given you in the Messiah, it will absolutely change everything in your life. Nothing will ever be the same again. You'll enjoy a peace and a joy in life that you never dreamed possible before, all because God's amazing gift in His Son for you, that He's given to all who simply believe on Him. Today, we're going to see how Jesus Christ has broken the chains of sin and has kept you, those things that have kept you in despair and hopelessness, He's broken those chains. He set you free from constantly trying and failing to be righteous enough to enter into heaven. It's God's great gift that He's given to all who believe on His Son Jesus as the Messiah and the Lord. And that's what our scripture today says. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10 now. It says in verse 1, and actually what we're going to do is we're just going to summarize from verse 1 through verse 10 because it says a lot of what we've already studied in the previous chapters and it's covering those things again to summarize them. So we'll summarize what's in chapter 10 verse 1 through 10 and then we'll focus very heavily on chapter 10 verse 11 through 23 and then we'll summarize again the things that are summaries of previous chapters in verses 24 through 39. But right now, just for the first 10 verses, let's summarize what some of the things that we've studied before, the things that are being talked about in chapter 10, verse 1 through 10, are saying. It says, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never really, with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. Verse 2 continues, For then would they not have ceased to be offered? That's what we were saying earlier. They had to be offered every year. Would they not have ceased from being offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more conscience of sins. 
But in those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. Yom Kippur, it's saying you got to sacrifice for your sins again. You still got sins. Verse 4 continues, For it is not possible with the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, the Bible says. Christ's death fulfills God's will. Therefore, when He came into the world, He said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Now what I just read to you is a quote from the Tanakh. It's a quote when the Messiah himself are saying these things in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament. Now, how could that be? Because those things were written before he became a man. Well, as we've been saying all along, he wasn't an ordinary man. God became a man and gave his life to do the law always, that he would qualify to be an acceptable sacrifice according to the rules of Pesach, Passover, so that we could put the blemish-free Lamb of God's blood on our hearts and God would see that blood of the acceptable sacrifice and pass over us in judgment. So the Messiah is quoting these things and saying these things in the Tanakh many, many, many years before he ever became a man and gave his life on the cross of Calvary. How is that possible? How could he have existed before he came and gave his life? Because he is God and he's always existed from the beginning of all time. He's the one who spoke heaven and earth into existence. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, not three gods, one God who exists in such an amazing way that is so far beyond our ability to imagine or comprehend. Can God somehow be three and, and still one at the same time? Yes, He can. And if you remember those creatures before His throne that Ezekiel, Isaiah, and the book of Revelation had seen, John in the book of Revelation, they had many faces. They had four faces. They had six wings, four faces on them. So here's a question for you. If you think you understand God, if you think God is like you, those creatures with four faces, one facing this way, one this way, one this way, and one back behind them, how many minds did that creature have? You see, if you can't understand the creatures that God created before His throne, how can you claim that you understand God? Let's just settle it like this. God is far higher than you and I. He is far above our understanding. Can He somehow be three and yet one? Yes, He can. Because the Tanakh as well as the Brit HaKadoshah, the New Testament, teaches it in multiple places. It speaks of the Holy Spirit. It speaks of the Son. It speaks of the Father. Isaiah 48, 16, 17, other verses. Throughout Genesis 1, 26 and 27, all of these other verses speak of how God is far, far above our ability to understand. How He exists cannot be comprehended by mere mortals such as you and I. 
So he continues now quoting these things from the Tanakh that the Messiah said hundreds of years before he even came because he was still alive then and he's still alive today. The Lord is eternal. And he said in verse 7 as we quoted, Then the Messiah said to the Father, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, in the scrolls, it is written of me to do your will, O God. And previously saying, verse 8 says, Sacrifice and offerings, burn offerings and offerings for sin, Lord, you did not desire, nor you have any pleasure. He's still quoting from the Tanakh, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first covenant that he may establish, the second. He takes away the first methods of sacrifice to establish the more perfect method of sacrifice. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Now these first verses in chapter 10 remind us of what we've covered in the previous chapters, as I've said. They remind us that the sacrifices in the earthly tabernacle and temple could never permanently remove the sins from our hearts. If they could, then the sacrifice for sin wouldn't have to be made every year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. So the remembrance of sin remained in each person's mind and could never be forgotten. Each year, the person was reminded again of their sins on Yom Kippur. So the sins never really disappeared. They were there and had to be atoned for every year. And remember that the earthly high priest himself had sin. He was just a normal man. In other words, he was not allowed to enter into the kingdom of heaven himself because he had sins. So the earthly high priest himself couldn't enter into God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the forever kingdom, remember? where the true tabernacle, the forever tabernacle, the one that God showed Moshe, Moses, the forever tabernacle was in the kingdom of heaven. That high priest, the man could not enter heaven because he himself had sin, and nothing with sin can enter heaven. You see, heaven is a holy place. It's the dwelling place of God. It's the place of the throne of the Lord Most High, God Almighty. And He is pure and holy and righteous and sin cannot come into His presence. It cannot be in His presence. His righteousness would destroy the sin along with the one in whom that sin resided. So no normal man could enter the heavenly tabernacle into the true holy of holies and make atonement once and for all for the sins of mankind. But the Son of God sent from the Father kept the law at all times, and he was without sin. So he could enter heaven and enter the heavenly tabernacle and atone for man's sins once and for all. Not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with his own blood. He showed how much God loves man. And with his sacrifice, he made atonement for sins to all who would believe on him once and forever for all. You see... It had to be someone with no sin or else they couldn't get into the ever, forever kingdom and enter the forever tabernacle to make atonement for sins forever. 
And that brings us to the part of this chapter in the middle now where we're going to be focusing on today, verses 11 through 23. Let's read it together. It says, verse 11, And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, verse 12 says, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. And from that time, waiting until his enemies are made his footstool, as had been prophesied in the Tanakh, where God said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And verse 14 continued, For by one offering he has perfected forever, Notice those two words. He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. That tells you this remarkable truth that we're teaching today. That your sins have been cleansed from you forever. He's perfected you forever. But also notice that he also says those who are being sanctified. In other words... You can't just come to the Lord and have Him forgive your sins and say, Okay, I'm good to go forever. I'm clean forever. I don't ever have to worry about sinning anymore. I don't have to do what God is asking me to do. I'll just live life any way I want. I'll sin just like I was doing before. And God's got to let me in because I'm perfected forever. Well, no. Verse 14 says, For by one offering He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Those who are being sanctified. It means that God's still working with them. And you have to be willing for God to still be working with you. It's not a matter of your works. It's a matter of your heart. What are you doing this for? When you receive forgiveness of sins from the Lord, what are you doing this for? Do you truly recognize your need in life for the Lord to be there and to guide you, to keep you, to protect you? Do you really recognize the benefits of living according to His ways and walking in His path? Do you really recognize the desire in your heart to serve Him and to be His, to return the love that He's shown you by loving Him forever and doing what He desires? Are you just trying to make an excuse to get your sins forgiven and then go your way and sin more? Just do whatever you want. Forget about life with the Lord. It says that the ones who are being perfected forever are those who are being sanctified. In other words, they've committed themselves to God's care. They've given themselves to the Lord. They recognize that they're His children now and that as his heavenly father, as he's the heavenly father, he's going to be working with them, disciplining them, showing them right from wrong, leading them in the paths that they should go, slapping their hands sometimes when they're not doing the right things, and gently leading them in love to do the right things. Verse 15, though, then says, But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days. He's talking about the book of Yeremiah Anavi, Jeremiah the prophet, verse 31 of chapter 31. And God 
is saying in that chapter, in that verse, remember as we talked before, he's talking about this new covenant that he's going to make with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. The book of Hebrews, he's writing now to the Jewish people. This is talking to their heart. This is talking to their minds, to their understanding. And he's recalling how this verse was written in the Tanakh, the Jewish Bible. Yermiyahu Anabi, Veperek Shlushim Vechad, Vepasuk Shlushim Vechad. Aval Batanakh Shulchaze, Ulaize, Pasuk Shlushim, Bumkum Shlushim Vechad. It may be in the Hebrew Bible, it may be verse 30 instead of 31. It's one of those places where the Jewish people numbered the verses slightly different than the uh, Christian Bible has the same verses. It doesn't really matter. Those verses and chapter divisions came much, much, much later than the original writings. And so it didn't matter. They just looked at this and said, well, we'll call that verse 30, but the Christians call it verse 31. It's exactly the same words. It's exactly the same writings. It's just the division of the verses are a little different. And that's what I just now said in Hebrew when I spoke to our Hebrew-speaking uh, viewers today, is that it might be verse 30 in their Bible instead of verse 31 as it is in the Christian Bible, which is the Hebrew Bible also. And God is saying, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds I will write them. And then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. So not only is he talking about the New Testament, the Christian New Testament, but then he's talking about this wonderful thing that we're reading about today in the middle of chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews. He's talking about in verse 17, he says, and then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. I'll tell you something. You really want to know that your sins have been forgotten, that they're covered? Here's how you know. When God says He will remember your sins no more, if He doesn't remember them anymore, I'll guarantee you, no one does. God chooses to forget your sins because He loves you. Because He made a sacrifice for you in His Son's blood that when He sees the blood of the blemish-free Lamb of God, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Christ, on the doorpost of your heart, He will pass over you in judgment because He chooses not to remember your sins anymore. And that's the amazing thing that we're talking about today right in the middle of Hebrews chapter 10. Amazing! And you and I can't wrap our minds around that. That is just so different than the way that we're used to thinking. Now verse 18 says it like this. Now where there is no remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. I'm sorry, it said, now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. What are you saying there? When he says, now where there is remission of these, he's saying, when sins have been forgiven and when God's forgotten them, there's no need to have an offering for sin anymore, is there? That's true, isn't it? No need anymore because those sins have been forgiven. So then the writer of Hebrews says in verse 19, Therefore, brothers, therefore, brothers, having boldness to enter the holiest 
by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He consecrated for us through that veil that separated the holy place from the rest of the temple, from the rest of the tabernacle. That veil is His flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us now draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Listen to this. For he who promised is faithful. I love this. How this is talking about Jesus himself made the way. You see, in the days before the Messiah came, the temple and the tabernacle, the holiest place, the holy of holies, was separated by a curtain, a veil, between that and the holy place, where the menorah, the table of the shewbread, and all of those things were out in the front part of it. But no one could go into the holiest of holies, except once a year the high priest could go in there, and not without sacrificing a sacrifice for his own sins before he did. Once a year, Yom Kippur, he could go into the holiest of holies. The other days of the year, no one was allowed to go in there. The holiness of God would strike them dead because all of them had sin in their life. And God therefore made a barrier and He said, I'm going to put this veil here and no one can enter into this place where I will be dwelling amongst the people. Except for the high priest, Hakon Hagadol, the high priest, who could enter once a year, one day a year. And God said, I want you to understand by me doing this how holy and righteous I am. God is so holy. God is so pure. God is so righteous that anyone with sin in their life, and that's all of us, anyone with sin in their life coming into His presence without their sins being covered by the blood of His Son, the Messiah, would be destroyed. God knew that. That's why He cannot let you into heaven unless your sins are covered. But He desires to let you into heaven. It says in Genesis 1:26, He made man in His own image. You're unique in all of creation. And God made you, created you in His own image so that you could be a child to Him, so you could be one of His children, so He could put love upon you and show you and take you by the hand and show you the wonders and the amazing things in His creation. But now He's saying, that veil is torn. Therefore, He says in verse 19, Therefore, brothers, having boldness to enter that holiest of places by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He made for us, which He consecrated for us, through the veil, that is through His flesh, His body, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith in what Christ the Messiah has done. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, cleansed in other words, and our bodies washed with pure water. 
And then he says this. Let's end what we're saying today out of the middle of the chapter in verse 23. And he says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. I'm going to read that last phrase again. For he who has promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. We can hold fast the confession of our hope. We don't have to waver because we're not believing in our own strength to continue doing righteous things. We're not believing in our own perfection, in our own righteousness, which by the way, the Tanakh simply says our righteousness, man's righteousness, is like filthy rags compared to the Lord. It's like filthy rags before the Lord. In other words, if you think you're doing righteous things and you bring those before the God, before the God of creation, the one who spoke heaven and earth into existence, the one who dwells in a light that no man can approach, even Moshe Hanavi, Moses the prophet, was not allowed to see God. God put his hand over Moses' eyes as he passed before him and proclaimed the name of the Lord. If you're Jewish, you know this story. You know what I'm talking about. Even the most righteous man in all of the Torah, Moses, was not allowed to see God. And God told him, here's the reason why. No man can see God and live. Because all men have sinned. Even Moses made mistakes. That's why he wasn't allowed into the promised land. You remember in the Torah, even Moses made mistakes. And God said, you don't understand. God is perfect, God is righteous, God is holy, and in His holy light, in His righteousness, any sin that comes into His presence will be destroyed, consumed by the righteousness of God. God didn't want you to be destroyed and consumed, but yet He made you to be with Him. So He made it to where the atonement through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, would cleanse you and all who believe on Him would be allowed again in the presence of God. Could see God. Moses knew this. You and I look it back at the cross. Moses looked forward to the cross. Moses knew that God was going to bring a Messiah. That's why he said, Moses himself said, the Lord your God will raise up from among your brethren a prophet, a great prophet like me. This is what Moses is saying. And he says, and it will come to pass that everyone who does not listen to the words of that prophet will be cut off, separated from among the people. That means he would die. This prophet that God is going to raise up, Moses is now talking about this prophet that God would one day raise up from among the Jewish people, saying this prophet is so powerful, he's so special that anyone who doesn't listen to him is going to be dead. He's not going to be allowed to live. That's how important it is to heed the warnings, to listen to the words and the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah. Yeshua HaMashiach. Ha'ach Shelanu. He's the brother of us Jewish people. He came from us. He is the prophet that Moshe spoke of. So we see these wonderful things, and this is our main message for the day. But now let's close out this chapter, which is a long chapter. It's, 
got all the way to verse 39 at the end of the chapter, and we'll start here where we are, and we'll just summarize, like I said, these things that have been said before in the past few weeks as we talk through the other chapters of Hebrews. So we'll, we'll summarize what verse 24 through 39 says now. And he says that let us consider, in verse 24, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. You can't make it on your own. There aren't any spiritual Lone Rangers. God has designed it to where you need to be around other believers as well because they'll be able to pray for you. They'll be able to encourage you. You'll be able to share your problems with them. They'll share their problems with you. And together, God will use you and them to heal each other and to give comfort and encouragement to each other. So don't stay away from assembling together. God has designed all believers to be a body. And yeah, a body has different parts. And different parts do different things. These ears don't do the same thing that these eyes do. These eyes don't do the same thing that this nose does. These toes on my feet don't do the same thing that my fingers do, you see. They can't do that. They can't do that. And they can't do that, can they? I've never seen anyone do that with their toes. I don't think they can. What I'm saying is God has different callings for different people. And He has different reasons for different people to be called to different missions and to different ways of serving. And without you being part of that body, you're just going to wither and die being alone. It's like you're a part of the body, but you've been cut off. And so the rest of the body cannot nourish you. It can't feed you. It can't encourage you. It can't care for you because you're not a part of the body. So don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. But look forward to the day when you're going to assemble with one another so much more as you see that day approaching. That's what he says in those verses. Verse 26 then says, For if we sin willfully, after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there's no longer remaining a sacrifice for sins. He's saying, if you continue going on after you've heard the good news of Jesus the Messiah, and you don't believe on Him, and you don't come to Him, then you've heard the news. You don't have any excuse. And God will hold you accountable for that, just like Moses said. And it will come to pass that the soul that does not listen to Him will be cut off from among the people. Verse 26, that's exactly what it's saying now in the New Testament. Moses said it in the Torah, but Tanakh, in the Tanakh. But verse 26 in chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews is saying, for if we sin willfully, if we continue on, after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Only a certain fearful expectation of judgment. In other words, you're just going through life waiting to be judged. At the end of this life, whenever that may be, it may be tomorrow, it may be later today for you, or it may be many years away. But when it's time to talk about eternity, you will be judged for ignoring the gospel of Jesus Christ, for ignoring the way of salvation that God 
gave for you. It says, for God so loved the world. In John 3, 16, you know that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him would not perish but have everlasting life. There you go, right there. There's that story. Now you know. Now, what are you going to do with that? If you don't do anything with that, you just turn around, walk away, and you don't let it change your life. You don't give your life to Him, but you just ignore it. You say, well, I, I don't have time for this. Or you say, no, if I do this, everyone's going to think I'm strange. My own family's going to disown me. If you love anyone on this earth more than you love God, that's the wrong way to be. That's a sin. You must love God more than anyone else. And by the way, when you love Him more than anyone else, the love you give to everyone else will be amazing, amazing love. Far greater than you could have loved Him like before. And it may be that through you, through your testimony, and through them seeing the changes in your life, that they also give their life to God and believe on His Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach. Jesus Christ, and they also receive everlasting life and are saved. But if you don't, then there remains, it says in verse 27, a certain fearful expectation of judgment, a fiery indignation that will devour the adversaries. Verse 28 then, anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without the mercy of the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy of who has trampled the very Son of God underfoot? Counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. That's a quote from the Tanakh. God is saying, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again in the Tanakh, the Lord will judge His people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days in which you as believers, after you were illuminated, it says, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains, the writer of Hebrews is saying to the Hebrews now, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. People took stuff away from you. They stole it. You had things taken by the government, and you just prayed for those people. You didn't try to fight it. It says, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, verse 36, for you have need of endurance or patience, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Oh, God's going to give His promise. Just like Abraham was promised that son through him and Sarah. And eventually that son came, didn't he? Yitzchak, laughter. Isaac came. It took a while. But Abraham waited patiently on the promise. And now God is saying to you, there's going to be reward for you believing on the Mashiach. After you have done the will, you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. 
And then he quotes again from the Tanakh, for yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. Again, from the Tanakh. And if anyone draws back, he says, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. He's saying, I have better expectations of you. I know you're not going to walk away from everlasting life. I know in your heart you truly understand. And I know you're not going to shrink back into darkness and be lost. He's saying, for we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. An amazing chapter in an amazing book written to Jewish people. And now I'm talking to you, Jewish people. Now make sure you remember, make sure you understand what happened when you gave your life to the Messiah. You were adopted. You were brought into God's family and now you're His. And it doesn't matter what you've done, you're His child. He's cleaned you. He's taken your sins away. You don't have to go around feeling guilty about your failures anymore. He's covered them with His grace. And even if you fail from time to time, you're still in His hands, and no one can take you out of His hands. As long as you want to be His, as long as you want to do the right things, He will guard you, and He'll protect you, and He'll take care of you. He'll patiently train you in His ways. He's going to lead you in His paths. Here's what I'm saying. You can rest. He's taken your sins away. And even when you fail, His grace is more than enough to cover those sins as well. As long as you give your life to Him and believe on Him, you're safe. You're secure. You're free from judgment because you now belong to Him. You are His child. In John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me. He goes on in verse 28. He says, And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone ever take them out of my hand. Verse 29, My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to take them out of my Father's hand. And then he says, I and my Father are one. No one's going to take you out of God's hand. That's what we're saying. So you see, you're safe. You have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you and watching over you every day, every step you take, each thought you think. God Himself is keeping you. You're secure. You're bought with a price, the precious blood of Christ, and you're safe in Him. So stop worrying about your own righteousness, your own worthiness. In fact, let's just settle that right here, right now. You're not worthy. In yourself, you're not worthy. You never were. None of us are. But thank God, it's not about your worthiness or your righteousness. It's not about any of that. It's not about what you've done or what you haven't done. It's about God's righteousness. It's about what He's done for you on the cross of Calvary. On that cross, the Lamb of God broke the chains of your sins and set you free from judgment. If you believe on Him, you're free. Your sins have been lifted off of you. 
Sin cannot claim you any longer. Your sins have all been atoned for. Your debt has been paid. All of your failures have been erased. You've overcome the enemy because Jesus Christ is the one who's given you the victory. And greater is he who is for you than he who is against you. You've been freed from the chains of sin. Those chains have been broken. You've been given everlasting life in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen? Why don't you give your life to Him right now? If you call out to Him, He'll hear that cry, and He'll answer you. He'll rescue you from that darkness, and He'll shine His light on your heart, and you'll be given newness of life. He'll change you into a new person and throw all that bad history away. You'll be completely new, given a new start, and He'll give you everlasting life in heaven. That's guaranteed by God Himself. We want to give you an opportunity to believe in Jesus as the Messiah and Lord, and to receive God's peace in your life. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. Just pray something like this. God, I do want to know you and have real peace in life. I believe on your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. Please forgive all my sins. I give my life to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, God heard you. And He's already started working in your life. A seed's been planted deep down in your heart. Over time, you'll begin to see the wonderful changes that God's making in your heart. Get in a good Bible-based church. Learn about Him and His Word. Talk to Him every day in prayer. He's going to do wonderful things in your life.